Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We're continuing in our series of lessons on the epistles of John. We have um, obviously made it through chapter 1, introducing the, the letter, and we've said some things there about why the letter was written, who the letter was written to, uh, and some things that um, are in general terms being addressed by John, and we're going to address that again tonight because it's woven throughout his writings, the reason why he's writing to these brethren. Um, so we're going to pick up in verse 15 of 1 John 2 in this lesson. And we're going to look at uh, some worldly problems uh, that John is, is going to address here. We, we will get through the remainder of chapter 2 tonight. Um, so there's some worldly problems that John wanted to address to his audience here. So let's begin with um, reading a little bit. Let's read verses 15 through 17, and uh, we'll go back and, and make some, some points from this. From 1 John chapter 2, beginning of verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So first let's understand, as John is beginning this section of the writing, about not loving the world. He says that there in the very first statement here in verse 15. Do not love the world. And notice how it's written. It's not written as... Uh, a suggestion. It's not written as uh, good advice. Uh, it's written as an imperative, as a declarative uh, statement. Do not love the world. And what does that mean? It means we don't have a choice. It means these things need to be understood as I'm writing these things to you um, as a matter of fact. Uh, so do not love the world means that. It means that you have to Love God, as we'll see as he makes the contrast as he goes forward. But he starts off by saying, do not love the world. So we don't have a choice. But we would do well to understand what the world is that John is, is saying not to love. Um, is he saying that we aren't, aren't to love this world of God's creation? No, that's not the answer. And why do we know that? Well, we know that God, when he created all things that we know, the heavens and the earth, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, he says that when he saw all that he had made, behold, it was very good. So God's creation, this world as we think of it in the terms of the created uh, environment, the created world in which we live, God created it in such a way that it's very good. So it can't be that that we're to hate or do not love. Is it mankind that we are to not love or to hate, if you'll allow me that to, to better express in the, in the way I'm going here. No, it's not mankind. And why do we know that? Well, we have passages like John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Does that sound like uh, 
does God hate mankind? No. It says there that God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son. We know from other passages like we read this morning in our class on Peter in, first, in 2 Peter 3 how he, he wishes for all to come to repentance. That's God's, he sent his son to die for the entire world. So it's not mankind as a whole that we are to hate. So what is the world in which he's talking about? Well, it's the world that's been corrupted. It's the sinful world. It's the world that, in which sin has entered into and now has corrupted it. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But that's the definition. That's what John is talking about. That world is which the world that we're not to love. We're not to be caught up in corruption and in the world that's been corrupted uh, by sin. Rather, we are to love God and the world that he has created. That world, which we're speaking of here, is comprised of, of three things, really, that he points out here in verse 16. It says there in verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So these three things the world is comprised of, because it says there that it is. And what is it? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's the world that we're not to love. That's the world in which sin has corrupted each and everything, each and every body in that world. That's the world that we're to hate. We're not to be caught up in the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life. We, we've heard lots of sermons and classes on, on these three things, how this is, how sin um, has corrupted the world. The things that we lust after, lust of the flesh, the things that we, the greed uh, in our lives, the lust of the eye, the, uh, the coveting that we want, other things that, that someone else might have, and the boastful pride of life, that is putting uh, ourselves above um, everyone else and putting ourselves above God. That's pride. And this is what the world is comprised of that John is talking about. This is the world that we're not to love. This is the world that we are to hate. And he says there uh, that this world is not from the Father. Remember what we looked at there. When God created the heavens and the earth, he said this is very good. That's the world that he created. That's a very good world. And he loves the, the people that he has created as well. And he wants them to come to salvation. But sadly, as we say, sin um, has entered in the world, and this world is the result of that sin. This is the world that um, has been polluted by sin. If you look there in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, this is what Paul is, is speaking of, making the comparison of Adam and how sin came into the world through Adam. Uh, he says there in verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and this goes all the way back to Genesis, when, and they're there in the garden in chapter 3, when they sinned against God. That's how sin entered the world. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And see, that's the, the function, that's the methodology in which this world became polluted. It came through this one man, Adam. 
And then death says, death spread to all men. Why? Because all have sinned. So that's the world that he's talking about, that we are to hate. And if we love this world, the love of the Father is not in us. God doesn't compete in that realm. You either love the Father or you don't. It says there, the Father, um, and the world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. So that's the, the, the abiding, and we're going to talk more about abiding at the end of our time here together. If we love this world, the love of the Father is not in us. So do not love the world. Here's what the world is comprised of, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life. We're not to have any part of that. He's going to go on in verse 18 to talk about Antichrist. So our next section will cover verses 18 through 23. So let's read those verses, and we'll come back and, and delve in a little bit deeper. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have, not written, uh, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So here we have... Um, Discussion about Antichrist. And he begins by saying that this is the last hour. What's he talking about there? What, what does he mean by the last hour? Well, if we put the timeline together in the New Testament writings, we understand that, that John is writing very late in the first century, somewhere around 94, 95 A.D. He'll write not, Revelation around 96 A.D. So these are the very last writings of the New Testament. And so these are really the final warnings that are going to be written. This is the final message from God. After this, we're left with, we're not left to want, we're left with uh, the complete word of God. But he's saying these, these are the last things that are, going to, that are going to be said. And also the very fact, he says, that he, you have heard that antichrists are going to come. And he's saying, I'm telling you the antichrists are here. So that means that the last hour is here. That means this is that last time that we're talking about because of all that. Um, these letters in Revelation are the last writings of the New Testament. And so these are those final warnings that are given to us as we have access to them as we do. They heard that Antichrist was coming, and, and that indeed has happened. So who is Antichrist? It's important to identify who this is so that we can know, that his audience immediately knows, and so that we can know as well. So who is Antichrist? Well, let's first understand that we shouldn't refer to Antichrist as a single person or a single one. So look what he says. Um, 
Children, back to verse 18. Children is the last hour, and just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, there's the plural, have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. Well, look what it says, verse 19. They went out from us. There's misconception in the world about Antichrist. There's all sorts of confusion about it, and people have twisted um, who this might be and tried to... Um, put a, a face or, or a name or a person to it. But as we'll see in further definition of who this is, this is not a single person. This is the idea of those who are against the teachings of our Lord. That's who Antichrists are. But he says that they are from among the brethren in verse 19. Now, isn't that something to, uh, to think about? It says, these are from the brethren. These are men who have heard the gospel and have turned against it. And now they're teaching something that's contrary to the gospel. But he makes the point, he says that, he says that they went out from us, but they really weren't of us. In other words, that sometime they heard the gospel, and that's by which they started their teaching. But he says they're not really from us. And why does he say that? Because he says, because if, if they were of us, they would still be with us. So there's a distinction that's made there. They're not really of us. If so, they would still be of us. He goes on to say that these are liars, that they're denying uh, Jesus is the Christ. Look in verse 22. It says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? So here we have some further definition of who, who these are. They're denying that Jesus is the Christ. That's who these antichrists are. They're liars. He goes on to say that the one who denies the Father and the Son, in the second part of verse 22, um, says that this is the antichrist. This is the antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. That's who we're talking about. That's who John is talking about. The one who has heard the gospel, but not really of us. In other words, they are not a part of us, because if they were, they would still be abiding in God. They've gone out and they're perverting the gospel. They're teaching something different. They're teaching something that's against the gospel of Christ. He goes on to say, but you, but you have God's anointing. Look in verse 20 again. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know. So amidst the definition here of um, of Antichrist and those who are teaching things that are against and contrary to God's word, he's saying that you have God's anointing. And by that, you know. You know. And what is it that they know? They know the gospel. They know the true words of the Lord. Um, in verse 20, it says, But you have the anointing from the Holy One, and you know, verse 21, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. And he's laying this out in plain terms. I'm not writing to you as ignorant uh, folks. I'm writing to you as people who know. You know the gospel. It's been taught to you. And so these that are coming and that are telling you something different, you can recognize them. Because you know what the truth is. You know what the truth is. And he's writing to them as such. And he goes on to tell them that they can't deny God. 
They have to hold fast to what they know. If they deny God, if you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. Look in verse 23. It says, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. So these that are, are, are teaching something contrary to God's law, to God's um, uh, word, they're, they're denying the Son. And if you deny the Son, then you don't have the Father. So we're not to deny God, rather you are to confess Him. In verse 23, the second part of 23, he says, The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. There's a connection, a very deep connection between the Father and the Son. And it's a very important connection. Look over with me for just a second. Um, set a marker there and go over to John's Gospel in John chapter uh, 14. <clears throat> All throughout John's Gospel, there's the idea of who Jesus is and his um, connection to the Father. Here in John chapter 14, in verse, beginning in verse 5, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to, the, to him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, know him, and uh, you know him and have seen him. So see, Jesus is, as uh, Thomas is asking him this question, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he, and he says that if you know me, you know the Father. There's the connection there between him and the Father. And then Philip asked a question in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. And it is enough for us. Look how Jesus responds to him. Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? See, there's Jesus reemphasizing the connection that he has with the Father. He and the Father are one. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father? Uh, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. He's reemphasizing and reemphasizing over and over again the same, the oneness he has with the Father. And so, in John's writing, back over here in the letter that he's writing, He's reminding them that if these are going out, and remember, these are some Gnostics also. Remember, the Gnostics are the ones who deny certain parts of Jesus, either his deity or his manhood or the, the humanity of him. And part of this is, is addressing that as well. And he's saying these are teaching you to deny Christ, deny that, that he was God in the flesh. Well, if they're doing that, then they're denying the Father because the Son and the Father are one. So there's the warning. Don't deny God through, by denying Jesus Christ. Rather, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's that connection. So he tells them not to love the world. He's warning of these worldly teachings that are coming through the Gnostics, through the Antichrist, those who are against God's teaching. And so he's going to end this section with an exhortation. 
to abide with God. So let's read the last uh, several verses here of chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. It said, As for you, uh, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. And as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also uh, who practice righteousness is born of him. So the idea here is to abide. And what does abide mean? You look at a definition, you'll get something like this to go along with, uh, to accept without objection. If, you go, if you're abiding in it, in God's word, in God, then you're going along with what God says, that you're uh, accepting God's word, and you're not objecting to it. That's what abiding means. And he says that you have heard from the beginning. He says that quite a bit. That you have heard from the beginning. This is what we have taught you from the beginning. What is it that they have taught you? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ came to earth to save man from his sins. These are the things that you have heard from the beginning. And he says that, that they know that you should know these things. Go back to verse 21. It says, I have written, not written to you because you do not know, but because you know it. Again, you know this. I am writing to you to confirm and to reaffirm that this indeed is what you know. And they continue to know it. This is an ongoing thing. Abide. That's where the abiding comes in. Go along with the word of God. Don't deny him. Rather, confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if you abide with what you heard, you have heard it, you need to stand firm in it. Simple as that. And it says, then you will abide with the Father and the Son. Throughout this whole thing, I think you see that connection. The Father and the Son. If you have one, you have the other. If you abide in Jesus Christ, you're abiding in the Father. The connection that's made there is so important. Abide with, abiding with God. And it says there in verse 25, and this is the promise which he himself has made to us. And what is that promise? Eternal life. So along with the things that have been spoken of, of, of Jesus Christ in the gospel message, what's the promise that God has made in that? The promise is eternal life. We've been studying in our Wednesday night class about the promise made to Abraham and how we see it over and over and over again, God reaffirming, reconfirming with Abraham and with his son Isaac and with Isaac's son Jacob, how it gets continues to be passed down, that God is going to make from them a great nation in a, in a land, and through them all, uh, all mankind is going to be blessed. That's a promise to Abraham. And that promise was fulfilled through the Israelites coming into the land of Canaan, 
becoming a great nation. And the last part of that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ when the fullness of time came, as Paul writes about in Galatians 5. That's when the, that final piece of that promise came to be is when Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law and promised us eternal life. So just as God has prom- promised to Abraham has come to fruition, the promise for eternal life stands in front of us. And we have that same opportunity to realize God's promise. But in all that, some are trying to deceive them. That's part of the main reason why he's writing this, is so that they can uh, refute and stand up against those who are trying to teach them something different. These are the Gnostics, these are the Antichrists, any, any who denies the Father and the Son. Those are the ones that are trying to lead them astray. Trying to tell them that somehow there is not eternal life, but indeed there is. He says there in verse 27, And as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. The anointing, what has this anointing done? It, well, it has given them the truth. This anointing has given them the truth. He says, so that you will know that it is true and it is not a lie. That which has been given to you. And it is because, this may sound a little bit redundant, Because it is the truth, and it's not a lie. So in other words, we have have given you this, this is the truth, this is not a lie. What these others are coming in and trying to teach you, that is a lie. Those who go against God's teaching, those are antichrists. Those who stand in opposition to what God has taught and given to us. Among the final... uh, Parts of this is the, the, the plea to be ready, to make sure that in all of this, there's coming a time, as is, is alluded to here, that they need to be ready for the coming of Jesus. And so they need to abide in him. Look at verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have the confidence not to shrink away from him in shame at his coming confidence not to shrink in shame what does that mean it means that they need to be abiding in god they need to be going along with uh, the gospel that they have heard this anointing that they have of uh, have been given of the truth that's what they need to abide in so there's coming a time when they need to be ready jesus is coming so they need to abide in him and so in that being ready they can stand confident be ready for his returning. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Jesus is held up as the example. We abide in him. We are practicing righteousness and we have no reason to fear the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can stand with confidence and not shame at his appearing. In this section here, John spells out that there's some problems in the world. And he, as he begins, he says, do not love this world. Do not love the polluted world of sin. Rather, abide in God and be ready for the coming of Jesus. We offer an invitation as we always do at the end of our time together. If you
do not know the Lord, if you have forgotten who he is, if you're not abiding in his word, if you're not abiding in him, I would encourage you to make the necessary changes in your life to do so. We sang the song a moment ago about the end of the day, drawing close. It is the end of this day, drawing very close, but there's still time in it to make the necessary corrections in your own life. If you have needs of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.